Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to John 8. We're going to be looking at verse 12, verse 12 this morning and following. Now, we are in a series on Sunday morning called Resilient. The reason we're in that series is because as you come into John chapter 7, you, Jesus, from now on, the temperature has changed. And from now on, for Jesus, he's going to suffer opposition after opposition after opposition, setback after setback after setback, all leading to John chapter 12, where Judas will go in and hatch a plot with the Pharisees to kill Jesus. But if there is one word that you could use to describe Jesus throughout this period, it would be that word, the word resilient. The word resilient means the ability to stand up under pressure. And if there is one thing that we need in this moment in which we find ourselves, it's this same thing, resilience, the ability to stand under pressure. Now, last week we saw from John chapter 7, what is resilience? And I said that resilience is the ability to be open and honest and call people to Jesus despite the opposition. But as we come into John chapter 8, we see Jesus expressing resilience in a different way. Jesus enters into this difficult conversation with the Pharisees. I wonder if you've had a difficult conversation with people who don't believe what you believe. Two weeks ago, I sat down with, to have dinner with two people that I love very much, and little did I know that we were entering into a difficult conversation. One of them turned to me and they said this. They said, Timon, are you allowing gay people to be open in your church now? You know, many churches are doing it. Are you allowing that? And I responded and I said, well, I would like to think in our church we have a culture where people who struggle can open up about their struggles And I don't want to stigmatize one sin. All sin is sin. And there would be people who would struggle with same-sex attraction, just as I struggle with lust. And every single one of us is broken. And so we have a church of people who believe the gospel, and therefore, because we believe the gospel, we, we readily admit that we struggle. We struggle with sin. Well, that wasn't good enough for them. They sort of said, yeah, 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 all that same-sex attraction stuff, I don't, I don't believe that. You know, I want to know, are you allowing people to be free to be who they are so that pe- people can love who they ever they want to love? And I said, well, I have a different sexual ethic. As a Christian, I believe in what the Bible says, that sex is a good gift given to human beings to be stewarded between a husband and a wife within the covenant of marriage. And then the conversation went ugly and went to some dark places and they got very, very aggressive with me. And the, and the conversation ended very, in a very, very, very difficult way. Now, I'm glad that I had that conversation because now I realize that this is where many of you are. <laughs> many of you have had conversations like that because now... In our culture, 
the Christian viewpoint is not just tolerated anymore, but it's actually seen as being narrow-minded and bigoted. And just by virtue of me holding my conviction about human sexuality that I have from the Bible, I'm seen as creating a society that is repressive and creating intolerance in society. And it made me realize that these are the sorts of conversations that you're probably having out there. So how do we maintain our resilience in those difficult conversations that will come? Well, we're going to look this morning at why we will have these difficult conversations. Secondly, we'll look at what we are to do in a difficult conversation. And then finally, we'll look at how we can have the courage to enter in to the difficult conversations. So firstly, why we will have these difficult conversations. In verse 12, Jesus made an astounding claim. He said, I am the light of the world. Now, all throughout John's gospel, Jesus is like making these I am statements. There are seven I am statements. In John chapter six, he says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 9, in John chapter 8 and 9, he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. So all the way throughout John's gospel, Jesus is making these I am statements. But when the Jews in particular would have heard the words, I am, something would have registered in their minds. You see, in Greek, these words are this, ego eimi. Ego eimi, just want to bring the slide up. Ego eimi. The word ego is the Greek word for I. The word eimi is the Greek word of being. It also means I am. Now, that's a bit sort of strange in English. I, I am. But in Greek, it's a way of emphasizing the point. So Jesus is emphasizing, I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. And, but still for uh, Jews, as they heard these words, I am, something would have registered in their minds. You see, way back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter three, when God called Moses to come and deliver his people, and Moses said to the Lord, he said, who will I say has sent me? The Lord said to Moses, you are to say, I am has sent you. You see, these words, I am, were the name for God. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what the Jews would have thought is that Jesus was claiming to be divine. He was claiming to be God. But in using this expression, I am the light of the world, Jesus is not only asserting his divinity, but he's also asserting something very, very powerful. And to understand this, you need to understand the setting in which these words take place. Look down in verse 20. It says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Now, I have a picture of the temple up here in Jerusalem, Herod's temple. You would come through the beautiful gate. And then there was this huge court called the court of the women, where women were allowed to come. And then up in the corner there, you can see up in that right-hand corner, you have the treasury, and the treasury was a place where they had these big boxes that they bought in their offerings, offerings for the poor, offering to support the priests, these sorts of things. But in this big court where most of the people were, there were at 
um, the time of the Feast of Booths, so we've just sort of read last week how the Feast of Booths had just happened. There was at the time of the Feast of the Booths these four big golden candelabras. And during the Feast of Booths, every night they would light these golden candelabras and they would send light up into the night sky. I've got a picture of what it might have looked like. So they would have light, lit up these golden candelabras in that court and the light would have spread out through Jerusalem. And this was to symbolize how God in the wilderness had provided a pillar of fire by night for his people, manifesting his presence among his people to expose the darkness and to guide them through the wilderness. So do you get it? Jesus is in the exact place where these golden candelabras were lit at the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths has just taken place and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You see, this is what Jesus was claiming. Jesus was claiming this. Jesus was claiming that he is the presence of God come into the world to shine in the darkness and to guide us through the wilderness. You know, one of the metaphors for life in our world is that life is a journey through the wilderness. Has anyone experienced the wilderness in their life? Difficult moments, tragedy, pain, suffering? Do you know what is the fundamental question that most people ask? I wanna put forward to you that the fundamental question that most people ask is this question. How do I make sense of my life? How do I make sense of my pain and suffering? What is the purpose of my life? Where is my life going? In their more sort of introverted moments, many people ask this question. They say, I just can't seem to get it together. Why? Why? Do you know what Jesus claims? Jesus claims, I am the light of the world. I am God's presence that will expose the darkness and help guide you through the wilderness. You know, all religions in the world and all human philosophies are seeking to answer that question. In uh, Buddhism, it has an eightfold path, and if you follow the eightfold path, what do you reach? Enlightenment. All religions and human philosophies are seeking to give you light, help you understand your darkness so that you can have a way through the wilderness of life. And Jesus, Jesus claims to be that light sent from God to help us and guide us through the wilderness. But Jesus also said this. He said this in John 3. He said, and this is the judgment or this is the verdict. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The sad reality was, is that, <laughs> like, you think about this. It's pretty awesome to have a pillar of cloud by night, isn't it? Guiding you from God. Are you awake here? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? To have this pillar of fire just setting out at night, showing you where to go, lighting up the darkest. But let me tell you, it's nothing in comparison to the incarnation of the eternal Son of God come down in human flesh. It's nothing in comparison to Jesus 
When he came, John said, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only Son come from the Father. And when he came, he came to shine the light, but when he shined the light in Israel, he exposed the darkness in their human religion, the darkness in their, in their, in their religion that was full of self-righteousness and full of pride and full of, full of control and full of power. And you see, why will we get into these difficult conversations? Because Jesus not only said, I am the light, he said to his church, what did he say? Come on, what did he say? You are the light, I am the light of the world. And then he says to his church, you are the light of the world. And so if we shine out Jesus' light, it will expose darkness. And just like the Pharisees, you will find people rise up against you, just like they rose up against Jesus. So let's now look at what we are to do in a difficult conversation. We looked at why we will have these difficult conversations, because the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not like that. But what are we to do in these difficult conversations? Well, look down in verse 13. The Pharisees, they said to Jesus, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. The first strategy that people will try in a difficult conversation, they'll try this strategy of the Pharisees, which is what you are saying is ridiculous, Jesus. What you're saying is untrue. In that difficult conversation that I had a couple weeks ago, this is exactly what my friends said to me. They said, Timon, what you're saying is just completely stupid. It's ridiculous what you're saying about human sexuality. It's so regressive, it's so outdated, it's so in the past. It, you know, you need to update your thinking, Timon. It's so, so regressive. You're on the wrong side of history, Timon. Well, look at how Jesus responds. He says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Jesus says, I'm standing on the truth, for I know where I came from. I came from the Father, and I know where I'm going. I'm going to the Father, but you don't know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. Jesus could resist that because he knew where they were coming from. They were just coming from their culture. They were coming from ground up. But Jesus says, I don't get my truth from the culture from ground up. I get my truth from top down. Look at verse 16. He says, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Jesus stands on the truth in the midst of this difficult conversation because he knows that his truth doesn't come ground up. It comes top down. It comes from God. Now, I know, you know, my friend said to me, a couple of, you know, when we were talking, they said, yeah, that's the problem with you Christians. The problem with you Christians is you base your thinking on the Bible. You base your thinking on a book that was written 2,000 years ago. You know, you need to update your thinking and update it. Society has progressed. Well, that would be true if this book was just written by men. But this book is not written by man. It is written by God. It is His inspired truth. So it is true in every culture, at all places, at all times. It is truth come from God. You know, um, Billy Graham, he had this particular issue in his ministry. He came up to a point where a lot of his friends were walking away from orthodoxy, from, from Christianity. One of his close friends, Chuck Templeton, was an evangelist in Youth for Christ with Billy Graham. 
And Chuck would have a go at Billy and say, Billy, your faith is just repressive and it's old. Billy, you're 50 years out of date. People no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way you do. Your faith is just way too simple, Billy. And this caused Billy Graham to, to wonder. And it might cause you to wonder all this attack that's coming on truth and attack on coming on the Bible. But Billy Graham was out at a retreat in the hills. And he just went out one night and he took his Bible. And he stood on the Bible and he said, Father... There are many things in this word that I do not understand, but I've met the author of this word. I know who wrote it. I've met him. And even though I don't understand it, I accept this as thy word. Now you might say, well, that's, you know, that, you know how can you do that, Timo? That's circular reasoning going around. You accept the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true. Do you realize everyone has presuppositions that they bring to the table? And I'm happy as a Christian to say that I have met Jesus and he says, and the Bible says, or Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. How do I know that this is true? Because Jesus speaks to me through it. And this is all about him. So I can stand on the truth of his word. Well, when they can't get Jesus tripped up by telling him, that what he thinks is ridiculous, they move now to strategy number two, which is to insult him. In verse 19, they say to him, where is your father? Now, they probably knew that um, Mary had, um, had, con uh, had, been, um, had conceived Jesus while she had been betrothed to Joseph. And I think behind these words, they are having a go at Jesus. Jesus had been talking about God being his father, and they say, where is your father? It's like they're saying, Jesus, you're a bastard. You don't have a father. You were conceived out of wedlock. But notice that Jesus responds. He says, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus doesn't allow their insults to penetrate him because he rests on his relationship with his father. You know, in the midst of those difficult conversations to res remain resilient when people are mocking you and insulting you, you need to rest on your relationship with God, that you are a child of God. Well, in verse 21, then Jesus goes on the offensive. You know, do you know in a difficult conversation, you don't have to always be on the defense, you can go on the offense. Jesus goes on the offense. Verse 21, he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. You see, Jesus here is getting the Pharisees to question their assumptions. The Pharisees assumed that if anyone was righteous, it was them. And Jesus is saying to them, you will die in your sins. Where I am going, which is heaven, you cannot come. You know, in the midst of a difficult conversation, it's okay to lovingly turn it back on the people who are insulting you and, and maybe, you know, saying that what you believe is ridiculous. It's okay to turn it back on them and actually ask questions and get them to think about where their worldview is coming from rather than always being on the defensive. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. 
You see, for Jesus, there is two categories. There is this world, and then there is above. There is culture, and there is kingdom. And he says, I am not of this world, of this culture. I am of the kingdom. And you know, as Christians, we can enjoy the things of this world. We can enjoy the many blessings of living in this world, and God has given us many good things to enjoy. But ultimately, my friends, we are not of this world. We are of a new kingdom, a coming kingdom. We are citizens of a coming kingdom. And so we have to live as strangers and exiles in this world, recognizing that there is this culture and there is the kingdom and there will be tension between those two. Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I love this about Jesus. Many people think that Jesus was gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That he just walked around with like a bathrobe on, with a big beard, saying, peace, brother. No, Jesus challenges the Pharisees. He challenges them about the most important issue. If you perish apart from me, you will die in your sins. In the midst of difficult conversations, we have to have the courage sometimes to actually point out what the true issues are, what's really at stake. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say to you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. In the midst of a difficult conversation, all we have to do is we just have to present the truth. We have to present what we have heard from the Father. Well then, it says in verse 27, they didn't understand that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. You know, Jesus, the light of the world, is shining the light on their darkness. And they're not comprehending what he's saying. But he says, you will understand when I go to the cross, when you see me lifted up, you will understand. You see, one of the most important things in a difficult conversation is to make sure you make it a gospel conversation, is you make sure you bring it back to the gospel because Jesus, the light of the world, would at, on the cross, he would go through three hours of darkness, taking all of our darkness upon himself so that we we might go free. You see, I think that hard hearts are melted when they look at the cross and they see the justice of God and the love of God expressed at the cross. The cross demonstrates, it's vertical, it goes down, it demonstrates that Jesus came down, but it also demonstrates God's love horizontally for humanity. That God, in his justice, he had to pay for sin. He is a holy God, but in his love, he sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. And make sure in the midst of this difficult conversation that you keep your heart in the right place. The whole purpose is to see, help people see the love of God, not just win an argument. Well, in verse 29, it says something really powerful. Jesus said, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Do you know one of the most important things to remember in the midst of a difficult conversation 
is you are not alone. God is there with you. Two weeks ago, when I was sitting at that table and feeling very attacked by people who loved me, I realized I was not alone. Jesus was there with me. God has promised to be with his people in the midst of the most darkest moments. And God is with you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I love the way it ends in verse 30. Look at what it says in verse 30, people. It says, and as he was saying these things, what happened? Many people believed. Jesus entered into this difficult conversation. He maintained his composure. He maintained his resilience. He stood up. He surfaced the darkness that was in these people's lives. And what happened? Many people believed. You know, I am, I, I, I'm still very optimistic about us. I'm still very optimistic about the church, that if we maintain our resilience, if we stand for Jesus, if we're willing to go into those difficult conversations, but stand on the truth, and even when we're mocked, just absorb the blows because we know who we are in Christ, and then go on the offensive and just help people understand who Jesus is and present the gospel, I am confident that the light of the world will shine his light through us and many people will believe. I'm confident in that. The church is not dead. It's not all over, people. Let's not have a funeral. God will work. But still, where does the courage come from? Because it takes an infectious courage to be this type of Christian, to be a resilient Christian in the midst of a difficult conversation, to sort of stand on the truth when everyone thinks that what you believe is just a load of rubbish. It takes a lot of courage to absorb the insults. It takes a lot of courage to, to, to go for the true issue and to present the gospel to people. So where does that type of courage come from? Well, it comes from back in verse 12. Look back in your Bibles in verse 12. It says, And again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you realize how convicting that statement is? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That won't be the pattern of their life, but they will have the light of life. See, where does the courage come from? The courage come from, it comes from this place. <clears throat> Allow the light to expose your darkness so that you will be able to shine in the darkness. Why was Jesus so resilient in the midst of this difficult conversation? It's because he was walking with his father. Notice in verse 16, he says, it's not I alone who judge, but I and the father who sent me. Notice in verse 19, he says, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Notice in verse 28, he says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. 
Notice in verse 25, he says, the father has not left me alone, but I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus was in an intimate relationship with his father. You see, allow the light to expose your darkness so that you will be able to shine in the darkness. You see, oftentimes as Christians, we don't have the resilience, the power, the courage to shine in the darkness because we're actually walking in the darkness ourselves. John would say this in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he would say, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, are you allowing Jesus the light to search you and expose your darkness so that you come back to him and you have your sin cleansed so you're walking in fellowship with the Father or are you just a fake Christian who's lying? All the while, your life is actually filled with darkness. You never have the courage because you won't be walking with God in intimate relationship with God because you're walking in the darkness. As Keith Green once wrote, he said, the church is languishing in the dark, the world is languishing in the dark that the church just can't fight because she is asleep in the light. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You will allow his light to expose you, his loving light to expose you so that you will come to him in brokenness and weakness and you will say, this is true, this is me, this is what I struggle with. Jesus, cleanse me and forgive me. At the end of the 9 a.m. service, the people came forward for cleansing and forgiveness. And it's so interesting to me how we love to cover up and justify our sin. Because I know we're so ashamed of our sin and so we'll, we'll come forward and we'll try to say things like, well, this is the sin that I struggle with, but it's not as bad as what you think. And we'll make some justification for it. We'll never be free that way. You'll never be free from that way with sin. You actually need to recognize that sin is that bad. And you are that bad. And you've done those things. You've walked in the darkness. And you need to come and allow Jesus to expose that in your life so that you will bring it to him for cleansing and forgiveness so that you will have intimacy with God, so that you can walk with God. You know, um, when I went to Nepal the first time, we flew into the airport in Nepal, and we flew in at nighttime, and so it was dark, and we took this journey um, to our hotel. And on the way to the hotel, we went past all of these shops and they were all lit up with neon signs and it all looked very inviting. And I thought, man, that would be a great place to go shopping in those shops. Well, when the daylight came, it had exposed what had been hidden in the dark. And all of those same shops, when we went past them again, they had dirt floors. Many of them were butchers and they had these 
these, um, you know, pork and they had, they had chicken and they had flies just flying over the pork and the chicken. You wouldn't ever want to eat that. But the darkness had covered it up. And now that the light had come, it had been exposed. Will you allow Jesus, the light of the world, to come because he loves you, to expose your darkness so that you can confess the darkness and come back to God and be empowered by God to be used by God as a resilient Christian? Because you'll never stand up in this world unless you're walking with God. Allow the light to expose your darkness so that you will be able to shine into the darkness. So maybe God is speaking to some of you here today and what you need to do is you need to say, God, I just allow you, allow you to search me and I bring to you my darkness, Lord. Cleanse me, cleanse me. It's the whole purpose that Jesus came. You'll never cleanse a sin from your conscience that you first don't see that Jesus has paid for on the cross. And on the cross, he paid for all of your sins. He said, it is finished. It is done. It is over. The work has been paid. You can go free. But oftentimes, we don't go free because we want to continue in the darkness. But look up, see his love, see his light. Allow his light to expose your darkness and then run to him in cleansing and forgiveness and confession and say, Lord, this is, what, this is what's truly going on in my life. This is what's truly going on in my heart. Well, let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word, which is powerful. It's sharper. The Bible uses a metaphor saying it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to pierce down into our hearts, and it reveals the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And oftentimes, Lord, we want to justify our sin, and we want to look more righteous than what we are. But Lord, may we have a culture in this church where we... We just, Lord, where we have a culture in this church of being real, where because Jesus, the light of the world, has covered our sins, we can bring our sins out into the light with full assurance that they will be cleansed by him, will be forgiven, and therefore we can walk and make those steps of walking in the light progressively, walking away from the darkness, walking with intimate fellowship with God. Oh, Father, I pray for our church. I pray for the soul and the heart of our church. That we would always be a church that does this. That says, search me, O God. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Oh, Lord, I pray for this. I pray for this. Lord, in our church, do this, Lord. Why don't you have a few moments where you ask God to search you and search your conscience before him?
have that moment between him and you where you say, Lord, I put this thing at the cross. I acknowledge my darkness. I don't want to justify it. I'll say that it's less than it is. I'll make excuses. I'm just going to put it at the cross. And I want your cleansing, Lord Jesus, your purifying light. the end of this service God has spoken to you that I'm going to be at the front with other people and we would love to pray for you but let's all stand together and let's sing